Welcome to our podcast, Forgotten Victims, The Forensic Interview. Forensic interviewing traditionally has been associated with child victims. Over the past decade, there's been an evolution in the field of forensic interviewing where it's being applied to vulnerable victims of all ages, forgotten victims, victims with disabilities, mental health disorders, and older adult populations. On today's episode, I'm joined by MCG Senior Consultant, Kate Homan. Welcome, Kate. Thanks for having me, Stacey. So today we're going to be talking about a topic that I know a lot of folks uh, are going to be interested in because it seems like in every training we do, in every conversation that I have about the work that we do, people always say, so what do you do if the person stops talking? Or what do you do when they maybe shut down? People use that word with me a lot, that shut down word. I don't know, Kate, if you've heard that too. Mm -hmm. So... I think that we're going to hopefully give people some practical tools today, Kate, as we brainstorm and think about the different ways to overcome some of the blocks and barriers that come up in an in interview. So the thing that we always say in training that doesn't help people is we say, well, if that happens, your response sort of depends. So it depends. If that happens, you sort of have to assess where you're at in the interview um, and how things are going and whatever the block and barrier might be that's coming up. So what do you think, Kate, is sort of like the biggest mistake that an interviewer could make as far as, you know, something presents itself or person changes their demeanor or they shut down? You know, what do you see interviewers doing that, you know, we, we need to make people aware of so that they can maybe have a different reaction? Making assumptions and assigning feelings or barriers and assuming that we know what's going on when we don't. So give us an example of what that looks like. So... You know, in an interview, somebody may shut down, as you say, and stop talking to you and you physically see them turtle away from you where their head is in their lap and their knees are up by their chest and they're as closed off from you as possible. And you say, you know what, it's okay that you're not in trouble with me without exploring it first. You have to say, tell me more about that. Tell, I noticed that you stopped answering my questions when, you, when I asked you that. Tell me more about that. Help me understand what's going on. What are you thinking about? How are you feeling right now? And even once we gather a little bit of information, we need to dig deeper and really understand what is at the root of this block or barrier or the shift in demeanor so that we can understand how to effectively reassure or address their concerns. So I love what you said about not making assumptions, because as you're describing someone turtling, so to speak, getting closed off, making themselves smaller, in my head, I'm picturing someone who's scared. And your response was, you're not in trouble. So that is just exactly why we shouldn't do that. We cannot make assumptions about someone's reaction. Mm -hmm. Even if we've gathered a good baseline on their typical responses or their behaviors, we still can't make assumptions about how someone's reacting or why they're reacting the way that they are. So, um, so some of the prompts you gave were really good. So big mistake is don't make assumptions, don't assign feelings. I heard you say that and give us an example. So instead, when we see those kinds of behaviors, what, what's a more productive way to overcome it? So I can think of a case and I'll, I'll use an example, I guess, to, to illustrate this that I had with a little girl and we were talking, you know, in the interview and all of a sudden she gets really quiet and the tears start streaming down her face. Now, at that moment, you know, we were discussing the sexual abuse that had happened to her 
And I could have assumed one of a million different things exactly. there. Tears could be lots of things. I could have assumed that it was attributed to the sexual abuse. But because I, you know, let her have her, her moment. And then when I checked in with her, you know, how are you feeling right now? I feel sad. Uh, what are you thinking about right now? I'm thinking about my mom who's up in heaven. It had nothing to do with the interview that we had in that place in time. But because I asked those questions and dug a little bit deeper, I could find out, okay, what is it that's going on right now? Do we need to take a break? How can I effectively address that? And so the other thing that I think about, too, in effectively addressing this is you have somebody who says, I feel nervous. I feel scared. I feel um, like I'm going to get in trouble. There could be countless different reasons why people feel that way. So even taking it one step further, once you hear somebody say, I'm scared, not just assuming and saying, oh, well, this is a safe place here, then it's okay to talk with me about those things, to say, tell me more about you feeling scared right now. What is it that's going on? Um, So that you can understand it more effectively. Because it could be that the perpetrator is out in the parking lot. It could be that there's some sort of real or perceived threat that's you know not actively present. It could be that the person's scared at the way that you're going to react to whatever it is that's going on. It could be that they're scared about what's going to happen with their non-offending caregiver who's in the waiting room. Um, it could be a, uh, even more that I haven't even thought of. Right, it could be any number of reasons. And why so it's really important for us to take that time and say, okay. Let's make sure that I fully understand this so that I can, you know, effectively provide that reassurance. But what we see a lot of times in interviewers is that they just want to make it better. And they say, oh, I'm going to reassure you. It's a safe place. You're not in any trouble. You can use any words that you want to with me and here, whatever it is, without allowing that additional information to come out so that we can effectively address those barriers or blocks that are happening. So, and those are good things to say, right? So it'd be okay to say something like, hey, this is a safe place. You Mm -hmm. can say anything in this room. You know, that's okay. But maybe we're just not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. So step one is identifying the shutdown, blocker barrier, whatever has popped up in the conversation. Next up is asking for more information about it. So finding out whatever emotion it is based on their own assignment of emotion, us not putting that on them and then exploring it. So it's, it sounds like for a simple, bullish conversation that we're taking a lot of steps, but it's important because we want to make sure we're not making assumptions or identifying emotions or feelings for the people we're interviewing people of all ages. People don't really like that. Right. Mm -hmm. I would say that if someone were to wrongly assume whatever emotion I was having, that I would not be okay with that. So making sure we're keeping that in check and then exploring it. And I like what you said about exploring it for lots of different reasons, because by just sort of putting a Band-Aid on it, we could miss some really valuable information. So if there is some sort of threat or safety concern that's embedded in that emotion that's brought us this blocker barrier, what a great opportunity to explore that further. So one, we can properly reassure the person, but also so we can address it if we need to. And it could be potential corroboration or information about conversations that the you know alleged subject, subject suspect, perpetrator, depending on what your field is, what their um, you know what their conversations look like. Were there threats, promises, coercion, things that we need to be considering and thinking about? And and I'm just I'm thinking of cases where that's come up for me. Has that 
kind of thing come up for you where people have then told you when you've explored? Give us an example of that. So there was a case that I had where it was actually a witness interview. It wasn't it wasn't somebody who had been directly victimized. And he the reason, uh, you know, that he had the barrier was because the perpetrator had shown him a gun in the backpack at home and basically threatened, you know, if you talk about this, I'm going to use this gun on your family. Like, you all are not safe. And so, you know, exploring that was incredibly important because, you know, he described the gun in great detail. He said it was like a cowboy gun with a long barrel, and he drew a picture of it for me. The detective went back to the house. He found the backpack, and the gun was inside. So, um, you know, they were able to have that piece of corroborative information based off of what that child had told me during the interview. Which might not have otherwise come up. I mean, potentially it could have because sometimes in interviews we ask about conversations, things that are seen, heard, felt, those other sensory questions that we talk about. But in the moment, what a great opportunity for you to explore that and for people to be safe first and foremost, which is wonderful. And then the corroboration that went along with it, just something that might not have popped up naturally in in the conversation had you not addressed that block of barrier and then explored it. So I think that's the the two piece. Am I getting that right? Mm -hmm. So addressing it by letting the person identify it and then exploring it and not just sort of covering it up with a reassuring band-aid. Now, again, after we explore it, we can normalize Um, and then reassure people so that we can sort of move on with the interview because oftentimes we are able to move on with that conversation, which which is really good. Other times, I mean, I've had blocks and barriers that have come up in interviews that we've not been able to overcome where we make the decision in the moment that, okay, something else has to be resolved outside of this room before this conversation can safely continue. So I think that's where we go back to our it depends response. Mm -hmm. So it could be that we take a break could be that we consider a multi-session interview, or it could be that we can continue on with the conversation, which is certainly, I would think, an ideal depending on the individual and what their needs are. So let's talk a little bit more about those reassurances, Kate. Talk about what the components, so I guess we've got address, explore, reassure. We're going to come up with an acronym here. Look at that, address, explore, reassure. Um, AER, let's do that. So what kind of reassurances are you know appropriate or what things have you used that you think have been helpful to folks in interviews? So oftentimes what I notice is in exploring the barrier thoroughly, I can say something like, you know what, thanks for sharing that with me. It's important that we understand, you know, everything or something like that, depending on the circumstance, is going to change what I what I say in a, a particular situation. Um, but I've used that a lot. Sometimes, you know, we talk about, like I said before, this room is a safe space. You can express anything that you'd like to me in here. Um, you know, helping them understand the process because sometimes there's a little bit of confusion that we didn't realize that there was before. So oftentimes that that reassurance comes in. Well, this is how this works, or here's. The the people who are present in the observation room um, when there may have been a misunderstanding about who was going to hear, you know, while the recording was being made. Or sometimes there's barriers or blocks that it's not, I'm not the appropriate person for them uh, to hear that reassurance from. So my reassurance looks a little bit more like, you know what, I'm going to write that down because that's something that's really important. Let me make sure after the interview or if we need to take a break in the interview that I get you to the person who can help with that. 
So oftentimes I'm punting to the investigators who are watching me and saying, you know what, after we're finished talking here today, detective so-and-so can come and talk with you about what the next steps are after you guys leave here today, because that's more appropriate for them to address than for me. So, so the reassurance, what I hear you saying, is not simple, as we know. Not at all. So there's lots of components to this, too. So it's staying in your lane. So making sure that if it's a question that could perhaps be answered better by someone else, that that's okay. So we might need to take a break, let the interviewee have a conversation with the advocate, detective, therapist, depending on what the block is. And so making sure that we stay in our lane with this is really important. The other things that I heard you say, Kate, is we need to be transparent so that honesty is so important and making sure that we're also legally defensible because we never want to make promises to people that we mm-hmm. can't keep. We want to make sure that people understand what's going on in a way that is developmentally appropriate and we can give them the answers to those questions in a way that's going to make them feel safe but not make them feel like trapped or tricked by us in any way, right? So it's it's honest reassurance that's transparent that helps us stay in our lane. And the thing that, that I, I use a lot in interviews that I think um, I, I found successful, probably because people find it comforting not to make an assumption about their feelings, but is the, the normalization. So I find myself saying things like lots of people I talk to tell me that they're scared. Lots of people, if they've assigned it, I don't assign the emotion, if they've told me that they're feeling scared, worried, nervous, explore it and then let them know sort of to wrap it up and be able to move on. You know, lots of people tell me that they're scared and you can feel any way that you want to in here. Thank you for telling me. I like that piece that you said to that sort of acknowledgement that they shared that with you. So it's sort of like the thanking them and acknowledging it, also reassuring, normalizing, staying in our lane and making sure that it's, you know, just honest, clear, transparent. And I've even had cases where I feel like I've told people, you know what, I don't know the answer to that question right now because I'll get questions that will present as like blocks or barriers where someone will say, oh, is so-and-so going to go to jail? Or am I going to get in trouble for saying this? Or can you make sure I never have to go to that place again? Those are hard questions that we're asked sometimes and we don't always have the answer to them in the moment. So being able to give ourselves the permission to not know all the answers, which is sometimes hard, and then making sure that we either find the answer or just clear and honest about that. So those are the pieces I think that most people understand from training, but they hopefully are elevated by incorporating and intentionally having those other steps of addressing and exploring like you were talking about. Um, Is there anything else with reassurance that I missed that... uh, you think people should know or remember in addition to you know reinforcing like thank you so much for sharing that uh, that with me I often like to provide the opportunity uh to you know express any other worries or concerns or potential barriers or I say something like if there's anything else that comes up for you please make sure you share it with me because that's important that I understand that and so you have that opportunity to say hey like this may be the first barrier of many that come up and it's okay that you share all of those things with me because we have that open and honest relationship. And I think what you said about that genuine connection and that genuine um, response, it's okay not to know things. It's okay for us not to constantly be the expert in what's going to happen because there's just some things that we don't have answers for. So to take the panic out of it for us in that moment where you're like, oh no, I have to 
respond to this question and say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, giving ourselves the permission. I like the way that you said that. Giving ourselves the permission to, you know, admit that we don't know absolutely everything. Yeah. And not knowing and but also reassuring that we will either find the answer, mm-hmm. figure it out together, or the answer will eventually come. So that alignment even in the reassurance too. Um, and, and I like what you said about it's a, like that permission piece a little bit, but almost giving them permission to have another worry, right? Oh my goodness. What if they're worried about more than one thing? Mm-hmm. Chances are pretty good. They are right. Even if they're not feeling like they can say it in that moment, opening that door and being like, okay, so we've already had one blocker barrier come up. Let's open that gate. Is there anything else? Anything else you're worried about? Anything else about this worry that you think we should talk about before we move on? And just sort of that clear, predictable, being transparent, letting them know, okay, have we finished this part of the conversation so we can talk more about what we were talking about earlier and then redirecting people back to either the topic of concern or wherever the block of barrier came up because we talk about it a lot I think in the topic of concern when people are talking about the actual allegations but I can think of cases where I've had people you know either turtle like you would described it sort of make themselves really small so giving us some of that body language that indicates a blocker barrier um, the tears certainly people crying or even like being angry shouting I, I've had any of those uh, those things present in any phase of the interview, even like rapport building. Someone mm-hmm. will sit down with me and like, I can't even hardly say, hi, my name is. And the next thing you know, they're like, Hey, am I in trouble? So, you know, it's that sort of the, it depends piece too. Cause if you don't have a baseline for someone, sometimes it's hard to sort of assess how far you should go. But exploring is always going to be a recommendation. I think at any phase, Yeah, um, regardless of the point in the interview, explore, 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 and then provide that response, um, or reassurance where appropriate. I've had that definitely happen that, that things come up at the very beginning of the interview, mid interview, during the topic of concern, during closure even. Uh, and so it can really pop up at any time and it's important to spend that time there so that, you know, we are working to gather the best quality information that we can from the person that we're interviewing. And the truth is, blocks and barriers are going to come up. And I think as interviewers, we're often scared of them. It's almost like the the worst fear. I remember uh, training new interviewers and people saying like, well, what if, you know, they stop talking or what if they shut down or yeah, that's probably going to happen. So just recognizing it could really happen in every interview and people, um, you know, probably have some concerns or worries, whether they bring them up or not. And to just sort of get it all out there will reduce anxiety, help people feel more comfortable. And I think just from like even a trauma-informed perspective, help people feel heard because you're not a robot there just to gather information from them. You're another human being who genuinely has concerns for what they're saying and you're invested and interested in their responses and their feelings, which, you know, from a trauma-informed perspective is really important. And then if we can clear some of that air, get some of those worries out there than reducing anxiety and we'll Mm -hmm. just practice experience. You're going to have a way smoother interview, gather more information from folks. They're going to be more comfortable and just going to be successful overall. I think a lot. 
I think it's one of the many moments that interviewers do this, but when you're having this sort of conversation with someone that you're interviewing, you're communicating, I care about you as a person and I value the things that you have to say, no matter what it is. And that is so, so, so important, especially for, you know, creating that victim-centered trauma-informed approach, regardless of the person that you're interviewing, whether we're talking to kids or adults or folks with disabilities, it doesn't matter. We need to constantly be focusing on communicating that to the people that we're interviewing and spending this time and saying, you know what, I want to hear about everything, whether it's your worries, whether it's the things that you're into, whether it's something that happened to you, whether it's your feelings good or bad um, about anything that's been going on and communicating that constantly. I care about the things that you have to say and I care about you as a person. And everything you have to say is important to me. So I I like Mm -hmm. that piece too. And I think you know, all this stuff is way easier said than done. Um, Kate and I've been on both ends of it, right? We've done it and we're here saying it uh, right now to our listeners, but remembering that, that that genuineness is something that can't be duplicated, can't be replaced by any sort of machine. It's something that only a human connection can actually bring. So making sure we show up with that to the interview, but on the days when we're stressed, when we've done so many interviews, when there's cases and paperwork and things that need to be done, sometimes it's harder to make sure we're showing up. So just having that constant reminder for ourselves and for our colleagues and each other about how we can genuinely show up for people, because even just being in the room, being really present can help reduce some of those anxieties and prevent those blocks and barriers. So it's, you know, the humanness of what we do. Uh, There's no such thing as a perfect interview, but showing up for people and making sure that they feel comfortable and we address their concerns is, is really important in any conversation that we're having. So mm-hmm. nice. All right. Anything else that uh, people should know about Blocks and Barriers, Kate? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I think it's just important to remember to follow the interviewee's lead. You know, no matter what it is, we are are there to communicate all of those things and all the wonderful things that we've talked about. But at the end of the day, you know, when a barrier or block presents itself, follow their lead. And like you said, some interviews, you have barriers and blocks that can be broken down within the interview and some interviews you may not. Uh, And we have to be okay with that and, you know, address that person's needs accordingly. Yeah, because there are some blocks and barriers that we can't overcome. And I think a lot of times, unless you've done thousands of interviews and get comfortable with this, it has nothing to do with the interviewer, right? It has nothing to do with us. And sometimes people just need more time, space. We need to overcome a block or barrier outside of the room. So so whatever that looks like for you, not taking it personally, I think is another thing. There is no magic wand. Sometimes there's no breaking that down in the moment. So so knowing what all the options are, trying to address them in the moment, but recognizing it might take a break or a multi-session to uh, meet that person really where they're at and, and what they need. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Kate, and for talking about this important topic. And hopefully, um, you know, people aren't so nervous about those moments that I think all interviewers get get worried about sometimes. And uh, we'll look forward to more conversations with Kate. And thanks for listening. To learn more about the work being done by Modell Consulting Group, visit our website, modellconsultinggroup.com, or follow us on social media.